0: Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast for the week of Monday, September 16th, 2013. I'm Pat Coleman.
1: And I'm Keith McMillan.
0: And if you're just joining us for the first time in the 2013 season, well, welcome aboard. And if you have never listened to an Around the Nation podcast before, this is the uh, part of the week where Keith McMillan and I sit down for about an hour and discuss the week that was and the week that will be in Division 3 I'm the executive editor of D3Football.com. Keith McMillan is the Around the Nation columnist, and this is really our first uh, grasp at analysis of what happened last week and we'll get you a quick look at uh, what's coming up next week that's already week three by the way if you uh, missed us in week one and are joining us in week two first of all welcome and uh, secondly we really wanted to talk about some of these teams that uh, are playing and have played this week for the first time and uh, Keith I thought you had a way we might go about that
1: yeah I thought this week Pat we could play the questions game and uh, I'll take it from the top the the first question for me is uh, you know you look at that score when Linfield put up 71 points against Harden Simmons. The question is, does does that mean Linfield's offense is great? Or, you know, is it Harden Simmons just can't play defense?
0: Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, one of the things that I look at that and I immediately think is, well, uh, we know that Linfield – doesn't necessarily have a quarterback problem. I think I was, obviously that was one of the very few positions that was open for Linfield uh, coming in off of last year. We knew the defense was planning to return uh, 12 of its 11 starters, so to speak from last year. Uh, Brennan Highland got hurt in uh, preseason practice and he will miss the 2013 season, but they're still pretty strong, obviously across the board. And uh, I think that, you know, whether it's whether we learn that yeah, Linfield is really prolific on offense we may not have been too surprised by that necessarily. They didn't, uh, you know, they didn't run the ball a lot. Uh, they didn't need to run the ball a lot. You know, they scored on a, um, you know, just look at the scored on a 84 yard pass. They scored on, uh, you know, some pretty, uh, some pretty quick scores. Some decent drives. Uh, the one thing I looked at it, I thought 71 as that game was going on. I was thinking, well, let's see. Uh, Willamette scored 64 on Harden Simmons last week uh Linfield and Willamette are pretty big rivals i suspect that it would not be surprised if Linfield tried to outdo Willamette and uh, sure enough they did
1: yeah that's passive aggressive though you know instead of Linfield scoring those points on Willamette later in the season they're scoring them through Harden Simmons and pretty much everybody <laughs> everybody goes through Harden Simmons at this point on on defense uh Linfield put up 40 points in the first half and i think it's probably a reasonable it's reasonable to say that that Linfield is pretty good. You know, you, you mentioned the quarterback um, being the big question mark on offense. Josh Yoder looked good. You know, it wasn't just 350 yards and three touchdowns, but 23 of 33. You know, fairly accurate, no interceptions. Uh, I thought that was a good sign for uh, for the Linfield fans out there. But it's hard. It's so hard to judge now. Because you know you have a hard and team that, as as you mentioned, gave up more than sixty points last week, gave up seventy points this week, and, and it's just hard to know how seriously I guess to take that result. But Linfield will get a chance uh, to turn right around and play Cal Lutheran, so we'll see just how good they are.
0: And speaking of Cal Lutheran, and and speaking of Pacific Lutheran, you know Pacific Lutheran, you know, pretty much had not a whole lot of trouble with Cal Lutheran. Uh, Cal Lutheran, of course, I think one of the big questions was about their uh transfer quarterback, the guy who had played or been on the team at several different places and finally uh landing here at Division Three, a guy by the name of Cameron Dean. Do we think that Cal Lutheran still has what it takes to, you know, regroup and make the playoffs or are they gonna face a, a big battle in their own conference just to get out into week twelve?
1: Well I mean it's certainly pretty hard to judge uh you know Cameron Dean from from his first start. And uh but it wasn't a it wasn't a great first start, hundred and thirty five yards passing and, uh, you know, to answer your question, I think Cal Lutheran probably still the class of that conference and uh, of the Sky Act, but I think it's it's pretty consistent now that they are a cut below the top teams in the, in the Northwest Conference. And, you know, what we've come to believe over the course of the past few seasons, some of the close calls that the Cal Lutheran had had with Linfield, you know, they'd beaten Linfield one year, um, is that they were right there maybe with the best teams on the West Coast And, and if they just, you know, play the, be- the, the right game At the right time you know, Maybe they'd actually advance out of that, that first bracket And I think losing to Pacific Lutheran Who may well be the second best team In, in the Northwest Conference Maybe the best team for all we know um, You know, that maybe puts, puts Cal Lutheran a cut below But by the same token, it wasn't an wasn't a awful game where, where Cal Lutheran was out of it At any point, obviously it was, it was tied At 24 in the fourth quarter So you know, maybe they are right there uh, with the Northwest Conference teams, but I'd say right now they're they're probably cut below.
0: Here's Coach Ben McEnroe's take from their post game news conference.
1: As far as areas to work on, uh, obviously getting off the field on on third and medium, fourth and medium,
0: uh, we were we were not successful with that all day. Uh, they converted four or five uh, critical third and six, fourth and seven type plays. Uh, you can't win when that happens. Uh, we had five quarterback sacks. I'm uh, not going uh, to blame the offensive line on all of those. Uh, it's a group effort.
1: Wesley, what do you make of, of them needing a Hail Mary uh, to the shortest guy on the field to, oh. uh, to outlast uh, Salisbury?
0: What a great question. Let's hear how that went down. Sean Green and Jason Bowen on the call for WDEL. Two wide receivers to the left, two to the right. Callahan and the shotgun, they need to get to the 22 under pressure, Callahan sets his feet, going to the end zone, he's got two receivers there, he's caught, caught, touchdown Wesley, oh my
1: god, touchdown, Jeremiah oh! touchdown Wesley,
0: wow, and I, and this, uh, you know, this result prompted, of course, some of our favorite twitter responses from yesterday um i think that if you look at that score just on the surface and you don't bother to learn anything about the game and you don't know anything about the game you might think that uh, these teams are closer together than they belong i think that uh, you know one of the things a couple things i would keep in mind here uh steve kadusou just you know basically didn't play he had one catch for 9 yards before he got hurt and then you got a guy joe callahan who you know Found this guy, not that, you know, just found Kadusu out of the blue. This guy's been a, a, a good wide receiver, obviously, for, for more than just a week. But, you know, found him for more than 200 yards last week, and then all of a sudden doesn't have his prime option uh, anymore. He still goes 20 of 34 passing. Uh, he throws three picks, though, and they kind of struggle a little bit. Um, that's one thing to keep in mind. Top receiver for Wesley out for basically the entire game. Second thing, you know, if you don't know that this is a huge rivalry game, and you might not. Uh, especially seeing that it's being played in week two. Uh, This is a huge rivalry game and Salisbury has not won this game in a long time. So for Salisbury to come out and uh, you know have a little bit of fire under them. You know, they, they, you know, are not accustomed to losing to someone like Christopher Newport, like they did in week one. So they have to, you know, even though they still have their automatic bid opportunities in front of them in the empire eight, you know, they, there's still a little bit of extra motivation. If they had maybe, maybe, on the outside fairly unlikely this year because there's only five at large bids. But you know, if Salisbury were to go eight and two and lose one conference game, perhaps to St. John Fisher and have the other loss to Christopher Newport, but had beaten Wesley, they'd be in a team that would be uh, in prime consideration. So there was a lot uh, riding on that in all senses of the word, not just the U S 13 rivalry and not just Salisbury having its uh, pride a little bit wounded from the previous week. Uh, I think there's plenty of reasons why, we could think that this result is a little bit misleading but also if you're a salisbury fan you know you got to think that based off of the previous week's result you remember they only ran for 110 yards against Christopher Newport things got a little bit better for them this week uh they had about the same number of carries 40 carries and got 70 more yards out of it that's it's it's still a long way from someone that's going to you know compete at the level that salisbury's competed at the previous couple of years but at least it's a step in the right direction
1: yeah, 185 total rushing yards, 4.6 per carry, which is good for most teams, below average for for what a Salisbury team uh usually runs for because they're so successful with that triple option. But Pat, I think that's one of the reasons why these two teams play each other so closely in this rivalry game because they know each other so well. You know, Wesley's had the same, you know, Brains behind it. When when you talk about Mike Drass and Chip Knapp and some of the other assistants over there for a long time, and and same thing on the Salisbury side under Sherman Wood. They've they've, uh, you know, the the style of the two teams hasn't changed much over the years. And so when they get together, you know, when they see a team in the first round of the playoffs, and, and somebody sees that Salisbury triple option, it's it may be new to them, but but to Wesley, you know, they've got a, a plan that they've been using year after year to try to stop it. And, and I think you know the same thing is true of of Wesley Salisbury knows what kind of talent it's dealing with. They have a plan to try to stop them. And I thought the big difference, you know, be- between the numbers Wesley put up offensively against uh, Widener and and the numbers on Saturday, you know, with with Kodosu out of the game, Callahan, as you mentioned, didn't have quite uh, quite as good a game. through three interceptions, and I thought that was, you know, part of the reason the game was so close.
0: You talk about some of the other teams that uh, played this past week. For the first time, uh, one of them is a team that played for the first time. Other team is a team that's playing for the second time. But I'm talking about uh, Wabash and Wheaton. Uh, Wheaton defeats Albion 66 nothing. Wabash beats Hanover 69 nothing. I'm going to call on Keith's um, expertise as a former player. What do you gain as a player from crushing teams like that?
1: A lot of confidence. And that's not always a good thing. Um, to, to be, you don't want to be overconfident. But certainly, um, you know, you spend this all summer, you know, pouring your effort into it. And and it's nice to come out, you know, and and win your first game and feel really good about uh, about yourself. But I think when the game starts to get out of hand a little bit, you know, you do – you run the risk of maybe being a little overconfident going into next week. And, 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 you know, Widener and and Wheaton both have to avoid that. But I think it's, uh, you know – you can't ask for a better start than that to you know to hang sixty nine or sixty six on somebody and and to have your defense do the shutout as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a that's an impressive combination. Um, for Wabash, as as a you know as I mentioned, that's their first game, so you know coming off of a bit of a disappointing season too. I'm sure there's a lot of frustrations that the that they got to, to put away in that uh, in that game.
1: Yeah, and you know not only that you know they scored on a uh they blocked a punt for a touchdown they had two interception returns for a touchdown so it was an all-around game for wabash not just you know putting up the big the big score didn't come from huge offense only had 390 yards of total offense which is plenty of total offense you know to win but but uh you know the, some of their scores their, their big plays in that game where it wasn't just they just rolled up huge offensive numbers it was a real well-rounded effort and that's probably what they feel best about you know heading on into the uh, rest of the schedule Pat, another team making its uh, first appearance this season and uh, rolled up a school record 674 yards. What did you make of North Central's win against uh, Wisconsin lacrosse, considering that we usually consider WIAC teams to be a pretty stiff test for uh, for those teams in the Midwest?
0: Yeah, I thought it was particularly interesting. I thought Spencer Stanek looked a heck of a lot better than I had pictured him. I hadn't really seen, you know, hadn't seen North Central play in a couple of years, and I hadn't seen Spencer Stanek at quarterback, but he looked Really good, uh, 26 to 35 passing for 330 yards. He ran for 106 and ran for two scores. Um, but the thing that I uh, took away from this game was how uh, how poised he was under pressure and just the distinct difference in, in third down uh, performance between these two teams. There was one point where uh, North Central had converted seemingly you know two or three consecutive third and eight third and nine third and ten situations and it was just you know with with no real uh i would say no stress um but you know just a a good sense of calmness and on the lacrosse side uh they were just three of 11 on third down for the uh for the entire afternoon and it seemed like you know third down passes were rushed uh you know or third down plays didn't go anywhere didn't make any sense stanick you know stanick just had the ability to pull the ball down and run with it and if you look at what stanick did last year it wasn't really part of the game plan i don't know if they didn't need him because they had you know obviously two other guys who could who could run the ball and, and the offense was designed uh significantly differently last year but they really ran the ball very well against uh wisconsin lacrosse on saturday they ran for 344 yards they were almost unstoppable uh they were, uh, a couple of times you know once they fumbled the ball away near midfield but you know in a in a lot of cases you know north central almost had its way with uh with with lacrosse uh, it, it looks close forty one twenty four uh lacrosse punched one in with a buck seventeen to go against the uh against the north central backups and you know a lot of the talk in the preseason from the fans of north central was you know Around uh, centered around Tyler Dickens coming back for them. He was a guy who had uh, played some quarterback for them in previous years and thought that he might contribute. And you know, he didn't play until the final seven minutes of the game. They didn't need him. And if North Central continues to play, uh, understanding the way they did on Saturday, they're going to be a threat to go uh, considerably deep into the playoffs again. So is lacrosse a big test? Well, <clears throat> lacrosse was certainly a big test for North Central last year, but North Central gave the ball away a lot. Um, you know, lacrosse, I didn't see a whole lot of them out of them on Saturday that, uh, made me think they would be a huge test or made me think that they would, um, you know, even go, uh, be above 500 in the Wyack. I think that, uh, you know, if I talk about what's going on at the other end of the Wyack, away from Platteville and Whitewater and Oshkosh, and we talk about, uh, Stout, we talk about Eau Claire and we talk about River Falls and we talk about lacrosse. Um, you know, I've seen three of those. I haven't seen Stout play yet, but those three teams are all pretty competitive with each other. And that means that River Falls is significantly better than they have been in the past. And maybe lacrosse isn't as good as we thought they might be this year.
1: You know what stood out to me from from obviously not having been there, but but uh, looking at the box score from that game is it was you know a 14-10 game for much of the second quarter. It was 21-17 early in the third quarter in that game, and then North Central pulled away, uh, so you scored three consecutive touchdowns in the second half to make that score you know be be something of a of an ugly game, and it reminds me a little bit too of the. Uh, which we'll probably get to at some point in this podcast. The St. John Fisher W&J game was really close at one point at the start of the fourth quarter and it ended up being a three-touchdown spread in that game. Um, did did North Central seem to get stronger over the course of the game?
0: I think they might have worn down lacrosse a little bit, but I, I think partially you know, that close score at the beginning of the third quarter is kind of misleading. Uh, you know, the uh, ball was coughed up at midfield and uh, Andrew Walsh, a defender for lacrosse, took it and just rumbled 53 yards for the score. Um, you know, the lacrosse didn't have a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of offense on them um, other than a drive in the first quarter. And then, like I said, a drive against the backups, whereas North Central Stanick could just pick his spots. It seems they had a couple of big gains on their very first possession to kind of set the tone. And even though it became a 21 17 game, you know, North Central's poise and experience and, you know, offensive prowess uh, really carried them here. Just to go back into that box score for a second, look at all the North Central scoring drives. There's not a cheapie here. Six plays for 91, 10 for 73, 12 for 80, 10 for 75, 12 for 81, and 11 for 85.
1: And, and on top of that, if you're looking at that same box, Pat, you got uh, you know, four players for, for North Central having 10 or more carries. Uh, and all those guys average at least five and a half yards a carry. Uh, Stanek, you know, you mentioned uh, he had 15 carries for 106 yards, 7.1 per carry. You had uh, Matt Randolph going over seven yards a carry, so I, I think you know you were there. You could you could speak to this maybe a little more than I could, but it sounds like it was a a, a pretty dominant performance up front for North Central, and uh, that's something they could take forward.
0: Yeah, exactly. And in the absence of uh, Nick Nick Kukuchu, who went over a thousand yards for them last year. Yeah, they spread the ball around a lot. They all of those guys that you mentioned—Stanek, obviously the quarterback, Randolph, Kenton, Brown—all those carries were with the first team. And while the game was "quote unquote" undecided, so those are all guys that uh, clearly they have some confidence in. and your Names would probably be hearing the rest of the season. I believe it's uh, my turn to ask questions. Is that right? It is so. Is Hendricks any good?
1: Ah, uh, I knew the, I knew I'd get this one, and I. I it, this one is so hard to answer without having been there because you they have to, they have to be good to some degree or they're better than i than I expected. I'll at least say that much that i I thought, okay, last week they beat Westminster, but they're going to get an introduction to real d three football this week when they play Birmingham Southern. I think Two we might
0: the, have even written that somewhere, didn't we?
1: Yeah, I believe that was me that wrote it <laughs> um in any case,
0: I would so, have backed you on that that's all right uh, you don't have to take all that on yourself.
1: Well, it's the thing is, it proved true at the start of that game. Birmingham Southern gets out to a you know twenty-one-three, twenty-four-three lead in that game, and Hendricks. I guess it must have been 21, and then Hendricks came back and t- took a 24-21 lead. And then Birmingham Southern, t- you know, two quick touchdowns, sandwiched around a, a three and out. Hendricks only got two yards, gave the ball right back, and, and both of those drives for Birmingham Southern were less than two minutes. So that's one of those ones where if you'd, if I'd been at the game, I'd be able to say Hendricks played them really tough and they maybe should have won, or Birmingham Southern got a big lead, started to relax. Then once Hendricks came back, they said, oh, we better get serious again punched in two quick touchdowns and and one going away I don't know which way to read it but i'm I'm thinking maybe it was a little bit of the latter but but I also have to imagine this is pretty promising start for Hendricks program
0: I remember when we were talking about Hendricks in the preseason you and I uh, it's really hard obviously to judge a first year program there's not a whole lot of data to go on um one of the things that uh, I really looked at pretty hard was the fact that unlike Some of the other and most of the other first year programs that we've seen over the course of the past 15 years or so, Hendricks comes in for its first camp not only with a a double digit roster but a significantly small one. You know, under uh, under 70 guys. I think it might have been 63 or maybe even under 60. And you know, I felt that it just seemed likely that given that that uh, that Hendricks would probably be the uh, the worst of the three brand new programs. Uh, and maybe the uh, the worst of the six programs that are new to Division three football in one form or another, um, you know. Obviously, one of the things that Hendricks has on its side is Buck Buchanan's been through this process before as an assistant coach at Louisiana College. Louisiana College, uh, you know, built up its program from nothing. Took them a little while to get to uh, where they are last year and where they were this year. It's a little bit more than a decade to get there, but you know, obviously, they came out. They had some success. Um, and Hendricks, you know, at the very least, if nothing else happens the rest of the season and, you know, maybe nothing else positive might happen for them the rest of the season, although they have winnable games left on their schedule, obviously, uh, they still have, uh, some pretty good, uh, things to take into the, uh, 2013, 2014 off season. I think we talked about playoff positioning last week and now I'm talking about the off season already. I think it should just cut me off. Let's go on.
1: Yeah. Well, I was (laughs) going to say, you know, don't get too far ahead of yourself because now you, now you have a team that 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 believes in itself a little bit and whether you know whether the the comeback was was legit or not it, the, to them it doesn't matter they've won a game they have another game they they led in the second half and maybe they feel they should have won now you got you got guys who are new to football but they believe they can they can really play at this level and uh that's that's certainly Pretty interesting when you're when you're trying to get a program. You know, we talk about these young programs sometimes. They they start off zero and ten, and the, and the hardest part is just to get everyone to buy in and, and and keep on working, keep on working, and and it'll pay off eventually. hendrix seems to have some payoff right away.
0: You know, we talked. Uh, I know we're about to move on, but remember we talked a couple of years ago with, I think it was Stevenson. About how, in their first season, they wanted to put a lot of their uh their most talented guys on offense, so at the very least you know they would uh they would have some exciting games and some things to uh some things to write home about and We're looking at this uh Hendricks team that has scored seventy eight points in those first two games,
1: yeah, I remember Pat having a conversation with uh Trine's Matt Land, and he said almost i think the opposite thing which was to put all the good athletes on defense to keep the scores close in the first year so that you could go back on the recruiting trail and, uh, and recruit your offensive guys and say, we're really close now. We just lose all these games 20 to 10, and uh, we just need some offensive players. And, uh, you know, so there, there, I guess, are more than one way of, uh, of strategizing that. But, uh, you know, it's been a few years since I've uh, since I had that conversation, so the details may be a little shaky. And, and speaking of something that happens every few years – Bethel makes a semifinal run pretty much every few years at this point. And uh, on Saturday, they scored the first 30 points in a 30-17 win over Warburg. Pat, is this one of the years Bethel can make a deep run into the playoffs?
0: Well, I think they certainly could make a deep run into the playoffs. Um, I've I've liked Eric Peterson. This is not his first year starting uh, at quarterback for them, but you know he gives – Uh, Bethel a dimension that they really didn't have in their uh, semifinal runs in the past is in in the fact that he can actually throw the ball so if you didn't pay a lot of attention to Bethel last year um, yeah this is a guy who can pass Uh, he's 25 of 36 for 311 on uh, Saturday Um, he has a lot of guys at his disposal Uh, Mitch Hallstrom is a guy who's uh, you know been around for a while for Bethel he started as a defensive back as a safety and he's been a uh, starting wide receiver for the past couple of years, they have plenty of uh, options available to them in the running game, uh, whether it's Brandon Marquard, who typically gets a lot of the carries these days. Uh, Jesse Finau is still around. Marshall Klitsky has gotten some carries over the past couple of years, and he's still there, too. Um, so on offense, they're uh, significantly better than some of those teams that just like to like to win ugly um, and then, you know, got their doors blown off, for example, in the semifinals by, say, Mount Union, something like that. Um, thing to keep in mind, I think, with uh, Bethel is that we don't really know what to make of Wartburg. Uh, Wartburg started the season with McMurray and, you know, crushed McMurray like they did last year. I think last year's score was something ridiculous like 73-6, to 6, and, uh, you know, this year was not much different for Warburg to go from McMurray to Bethel, which is somebody in, you know, probably someone in the bottom 10 to someone in the top 10. Um, You know, there's obviously a significant uh, learning curve from week one to week two. So I don't really know if, uh, if Bethel got the the best competition, uh, certainly better than playing McMurray or better than playing uh, some of the other teams that uh, teams open with. So for Bethel, it's a good sign and a good start. Uh, And I think, you know, again, the, the, the measuring stick for them is going to continue to be St. Thomas. And, you know, the nice thing about that is that that game's not until a little bit later in the season. They don't play until October 19th. We'll get to know a little bit more about what both these teams are about. And when that game comes around, if you're a fan of Smashmouth defensive minded football, that's going to be one of those games to watch because I think you would really enjoy that.
1: Yeah. And I guess Bethel will get a pretty stiff test, uh, you know, even before then. I think we both uh, like what we see out of Augsburg. That game is at the beginning of October. Mm-hmm. They go to Buena Vista and, and Carlton the next couple weeks. So, you know, I, I imagine we'll see a three and Bethel team, and then it's Augsburg, Concordia, Moorhead, St. Thomas. So it gets pretty pretty rough there in the middle of October. And I guess we'll see what kind of season we'll have uh, out of the Royals once we we see them play some teams like that.
0: If I can get a seat in the press box for October fifth, I'm gonna try to put my name on the list now. Uh, for that Bethel Augsburg game, that's probably a, a place where I just might well be. Um, just just making a note to anybody out there who might be listening. Uh, Buffalo State and Whitewater rematch this week. This week coming up, uh, Whitewater survived in week one, had a buy in week two. Buff State, you know, similar to last year, threw a ton of points on Brockport State uh, heading into that uh, heading into the Whitewater game, and this time. It's Whitewater piling in the bus and driving uh, 11 hours to Western New York. What do you th- what do you make of the rematch?
1: I imagine Whitewater's been uh, champing at the bit, stewing. Um, I'm going to try to come up with five other cliches. They've been thinking about this one for a long time. Um, that win last year, A, just by the nature of the way it happened, right? Whitewater's leading the whole game and, and Buff State drives down and, and scores win 7-6, but also the way it sort of shattered the whole Warhawks, not myth mystique. It just shattered the mystique, and we talked about it for the whole entire week. You know, we wrote about it Sunday and Tuesday and Thursday that week, and we brought it <laughs> up again later in the season. And, and White Water didn't make the playoffs, and I, I bet they just really, really, really want to give it uh, to Buff State pretty good this week. The question is, you know, can they do it? I, I think they're still an elite team defensively, and they're still figuring out. Who they are offensively. And this is just judging off of what we saw against Wash U in week one from Whitewater. And, you know, Buff State on the, on the flip, obviously plenty of offense. And uh, just how much of that can they manufacture against Whitewater? They're at home this time. Um, you know, they only, they only scored once last, last time out. Yeah. And, uh, they, but they went toe to toe with the, at the time, three time defending national champion. I, my guess would be Whitewater plays one of its best games in a while on this one because they really want to, want to pay Buff State back, but you never know, man. Buff State may be, uh, may be ready for the challenge. I mean, you, you play that empire State schedule, you get a stiff test pretty much every week.
0: Sticking in Wisconsin for a minute, um, about Wisconsin Oshkosh versus Marion. That is uh, a team that, you know, made the national semifinals last year in division three against the team that won it all in the NAIA. Yeah.
1: And it's hard to compare Sometimes, you know, a school that has, you know, some scholarships to play with NAIA uh, teams have 24 scholarships, but you're also looking at the WIAC, which is recruiting, you know, probably scholarship level athletes in in Wisconsin. And, then you know, it's it's a, it's a program that's coming off a a run to the, the final four and D three. And, and the question we had about them was, you know, can they sustain it without their star quarterback? And from the, you know, the first two weeks of the season, you play a pretty good d three team in central you play the defending um n a i a champion marion and 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 play them you know play a real nice game against them win thirty four thirteen and now i'm starting to think um i, I put it this way in my in, in my ballot, i've reordered the yac teams and i and and Oshkosh has gone up the order once. Each week. They were the third team I had in the poll, and then I moved them up to the second after the comeback against Central. And then I, I've now made them the first of the WIAC teams because um, this win was very convincing to me. And I thought, you know, Platteville struggles a little bit on defense, too. And, you know, I thought they'd be a little better there. So, yeah, right now I'm pretty impressed with Oshkosh. I think that win over Marion, even though, uh, you know, Marion came into the game with a loss against another very good NAIA team in, in uh, St. Xavier. The um, I, I think they are off to a pretty impressive start, and I think that's a big win.
0: I agree. I think if uh, and I have not been to the Victory Sports Network message boards uh, today or yesterday, Saturday or Sunday to see what uh, what the reaction is over there. Uh, I know that uh, generally the NAIa fans think that they're more equivalent to Division Two. Uh, generally, I think uh, Division Three fans think that NAIa is fairly equivalent to Division Three. You know. Somewhere it's probably somewhere in the middle. I would think the one thing to remember about Marion is as Keith already mentioned, they uh they already lost a game this season. Uh St. Xavier is pretty good. Uh Marion was ranked number two in the poll, I think, when the season started. And I'm not sure if they've had another one. Um and Marion has a new head coach. Uh if you're a D three fan, you might recognize uh who that is. So um you know to that is it obviously it's a great win for Oshkosh, no doubt. It uh it does. Um, ease some of the questions we had about them earlier does it mean that d3 is equivalent to or better than the naia uh no but as always all the way up and down division three above our 244 schools you could probably find someone who can beat almost all of the 91 naia schools that there are but in the past you know how our uh you know our our stellar mountain union teams could stack up against the stellar stellar teams from carroll college in montana that won all those championships I don't know. That'd be a pretty good uh, toss-up game, and something I would have loved to have seen. But I don't think we'd ever get that answer.
1: Yeah, I always thought the the best way to explain it was that D three seems to have a greater range of teams than NAIA does. And when you're looking at 240 teams to 90 some odd teams, you know, it probably makes sense that you know some of our uh, some of the worst teams in D three are are worse than the bad teams, in, in... that our bottom maybe is lower than the than the bottom there, and our top may be a little higher. Um, yeah i thought it's it's been pretty consistent in the years we tracked the numbers of d3 versus naia competition that d3 had started to get better the better of the naia teams and to be honest a lot of the the best d3 programs right now were naia programs 15 years ago or you know 20 years ago or 30 or, you know so it's i don't know if there's a whole lot of point in 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 arguing that point uh, i i know on our boards you know we've kind of given it up over the years i don't know uh, what people other people say elsewhere I, I think you know switching gears a little bit to the to the Wyac, those schools you know remember they were having such a tough time getting games that they had forced each other to to play one conference uh school twice and and uh this year you know they're they uh, back off that back to playing everybody just just once and uh, having three non-conference games in Oshkosh, you know was able to get two pretty good opponents of the three that they put up there and, and I don't mean any disrespect to Alma which has maybe the craziest Oof. schedule. Oof. Uh, they you know, I don't know uh, when maybe when they when they you know made the agreements this didn't look that crazy Heidelberg Illinois Wesleyan. Uh, they play Lakeland and then they play Oshkosh for their non-conference slate. It maybe maybe seem like a relatively reasonable set of games to play, but it's turned out to be uh, three top twenty-five teams or uh, Illinois Westland not in the top twenty-five yet, but awful close.
0: Yeah, I mean, shoot, Lakeland on the uh, on the twenty-first looks like a looks like a mistake. Frankly, um, you know, I would have thought that you know maybe Alma could call Whitewater. Uh maybe St. Thomas is available. I don't know. I mean you might as well just go just go for it. Go all in. That's a that's a, a schedule of craziness and uh yeah, Heidelberg coming from out of nowhere obviously doesn't help that. Uh the their not strength of schedule but maybe craziness of schedule component. Alma was five and five for three consecutive years. Uh, you know 0 eight, no9, and they were actually above 500 uh, every other year that we've tracked them back to 1999. It's only been the last three years that they've really fallen hard, uh, three and seven, two and eight, one and nine. Uh, <clears throat> you'd have to think that Greg Piscodna, who's you know, had some success in Division three before, might be able to turn them around, but uh, this is year two, and so far, we're not going to learn anything from them losing 90 to 10 to two at least two top 30 top 35 teams so far.
1: Yeah, and then, and then playing Oshkosh in two weeks. Uh, you know, Lakeland is a big opportunity for them. But I think the reason you see teams do that is because when they get into their conference schedule, they'll be well tested already. And and if their team's not demoralized, they'll they'll be ready for. Uh, you know, there's nothing that any any uh, team in their conference in, in Michigan is going to show them that they haven't seen from Heidelberg, Illinois, Wesley, and and, and uh, Oshkosh. I know we took that off a little bit. On a, on a tangent there, and I don't have another great question teed up for you, but I I you have a crappy we,
0: one. I'll take a crappy I, one.
1: Yeah, I have I have an average question teed up for you. <laughs> All right. What did you What did you think of the um the uh, the New England versus NJAC matchups? There were three of them, I believe, and um it was Framingham State Rowan. It was Bridgewater State and William Patterson yep. and then uh, Salve and Montclair and that was the one with the, probably the most exciting finish
0: I thought I thought uh, two of the three results were about as expected um, I actually thought that Salve uh, would have beaten Montclair especially with all the talk we've heard from Salve uh, in many respects of that term not just the negative ones over the past couple of years I really thought that <clears throat> that Salve would uh come out and uh, and win that game because Montclair has not done a whole lot in the past couple years um, and Montclair if you go back and if you go back and look through this game uh, it is just crazy the way uh, Montclair did not really do much of anything on offense um, you look at the at the way they put their points on the board it's a uh, it's a it's a punt block uh, falling on for a touchdown or whatever it is a 60 yard a 68 yard punt return and there's a 47 yard field goal at the end of a 33 yard drive um and then you know salve goes for uh the two-point conversion to uh to try to uh to try to win the game with two seconds left and that pass is knocked down and montclair state wins 17 16 that's the one where uh that's the one game where it looks like it might be a little bit uh of an anomaly i guess i would think that you know the top. If we think that the top teams in the New England conferences, you know, the conference formerly known as the Big NEFC, um, you know, if you think those teams are pretty good, I would think that we should think that Bridgewater State is probably capable of beating William Patterson, and that doesn't surprise me. Um, for Framingham State to be competitive with Rowan, I don't think that's a big surprise either. Framingham State was certainly competitive with Cortland State last year, so you know, at the very least. Uh, the Maliki Van Alstein teams are capable of competing with the top teams in the NJAC. And does that mean that we overrate the NJAC? Yeah, possibly underrate the NEFC and the MASCAC. Maybe, maybe not. It's hard to judge those conferences as a whole because the range on them, you know, like we were talking about uh, with the D3 in general, but the range on that conference is on those conferences are pretty deep. The, the bad teams are pretty bad. Um, you know, we just look at what Western Connecticut is yep. is doing, coming uh, and playing in New England now, um, and, and handing it to Nichols, as they should have. I don't think anybody should be surprised by that, because Nichols, you know, came into the season having won, like, you know, two games in the last three years or something like that. So that's not necessarily surprising, but you're going to see that. Um, we're going to learn a bit from the team that's been in last place in the NJAC over the last couple of years, how they're going to do playing a primarily New England schedule when we see how Western Connecticut continues to fare here.
1: Yeah, I thought, you know, the old NEFC, you know, that some of those teams are MASCAG now, but I, I thought um, they had a chance to win all three of those games. And Salve, obviously, you, you talked about the, you know, the, the, the dramatics at the end. Uh, Framingham State led... 19-14 in the fourth quarter of that game and uh, gave up a 90-yard touchdown drive to Rowan in the fourth quarter of that game. And then Rowan tacked on another touchdown with 10 seconds left to make it look like it was a 10-point game. But really, it was a 22-19 game, and, and, and um, you know, the Rams had a chance to win that. And Bridgewater State, they did win their game. So they had a chance. Yeah, the the New England's, New England as a whole, let's say, had a chance to really score – a uh, a big victory, I guess, against New Jersey, and uh, and and wasn't able to finish it off. But I think when you f- jump ahead eleven weeks from now, or I guess ten weeks from now, right when the, the week twelve, when the when the first round of the playoffs is out, and you you see maybe some of these teams get matched up against each other, uh, you know, New York, New Jersey teams get matched up against New England teams in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, I, I guess the Framingham states and Bridgewater states of the world should be confident that they can hang with whoever they get matched up with because, you know, these teams are are, are hanging with them uh, on Saturday. And that wasn't always the case. You know, some years the New England teams don't do so hot.
0: That's true. Uh, one last dive into the Salve Regina Montclair numbers just to underscore the craziness of this game. Um, <clears throat> we talked about uh, how defense and special teams won the game for Montclair State. Montclair State had just five first downs, uh, Salve had the ball for 46 more snaps. They had 93 plays to Montclair State's 47. But Salve, can I just look at the number of drives. The drive chart on this game must be just amazingly long, because Salve was four of 23 on third down. They were 20 of 54 passing. They threw four interceptions. Um, you know, as much as uh, as much as Monclair State did not win this game on offense, they certainly won. This game on defense. And maybe that gives, you know, maybe that gives Montclair State the ability to jump up and and knock off somebody else in the in that conference. And we've, you know, doesn't give them enough to make them a contender week in and week out. But could they knock off a Rowan? Could they knock off a Cortland State? Could they knock off a, a Brockport with play like that? Yeah, it could happen.
1: Uh, it's your, it's your question, but I I, I got a good one. So I'm going to just steal your turn. Go
0: for it. Uh, you have to use one of your lifelines in order to do that.
1: Uh, maybe so, maybe so. Who impressed you the most this weekend of the teams we have yet to talk about?
0: Man, maybe Franklin. Um, you think about, uh, how Wittenberg, and you, not that you can compare actual score margins in games like that. Um, but you look at the fact that. Um, that Wittenberg basically wasn't in the game against Butler almost at any point. Uh, And Franklin comes out and they take a 14, nothing lead. Uh, Then Butler jumps back out on top. They score twice in the third quarter to take the lead again. And Franklin doesn't go away. Franklin comes back um, and uh, ties it back up. I, you know, even though it doesn't provide us a whole heck of a lot of a frame of reference, for what Franklin would do against the rest of Division Three, I actually was more impressed with. Uh, I wasn't more impressed with Franklin this week than they were than I was last week. But I was more impressed with Franklin than I thought it would be. I I was a, I was afraid, frankly, that this was going to be a blowout uh, and that we weren't going to learn anything about Franklin. But I thought we learned a little bit.
1: Yeah, to be honest, it seems, in the short term, to some folks, I can understand how it seems backwards. To take a team that's 0 and 2, and be impressed by that, by that 0 and 2. But you look at who that 0 and 2 is against. You know, they 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 had a lead in the fourth quarter against Mountain Union, end up losing that game by three points. You play a a, a one AA team, uh, whatever we're calling them now. Yeah, um, whatever. And, and um, lose that game by three points. And and Franklin's not happy with that. They're not thrilled to be losing two games that they feel they had a, had a chance to win. But if they had scheduled, instead of Mountain Union and Butler, if they had scheduled, you know, teams of their ilk, if they had played, you know, uh, a top-level team from a comparable conference, right? Franklin is the, is the best team in the Heartland. What if they played, trine. you know, a trine, right? The best team in MIAA Mich- in, 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 in or, um, you know, top of the… I think that's that's that was the example I was going to go for. I was thinking I was just the, I just had a conference in mind, but it was Michigan. And, you know, but I mean, do they do they win a game like that? What if they just played another you know kind of mid level D three that's that's local to them? They probably would have crushed. You know, they if they I, I don't want to use look at look at Wabash result against Hanover. You right. know, uh, look at uh, how another t- probably top twenty five you know team in the teens. How when they play a, just a regular D three, how they crush them. And if Franklin had scheduled instead of scheduling so ambitiously, um, if they had just scheduled some regular D three D3 teams, I think their results would have been different. And so we, sh- I don't want to punish them for scheduling so ambitiously and doing well against that schedule, not winning, but not getting blown out by forty, fifty points, not giving up Harden Simmons level uh, scores on defense. You know, I think they actually showing some showing us something as far as being top 25 voters they're showing us that that further down the line you know we may see them be very competitive and
0: i don't think they're going to be in a in a situation the rest of the regular season where they're going to be um where they're going to be uh, battled uh, by anybody in the conference to be honest with you um you know if especially when you look at you know the their big arch rival their game at the end of the season for the bell is against hanover and hanover just got steamrolled no that's that's not harsh enough but you know losing 69 to nothing to wabash deserves a whole extra oh it's a triple monkey stop we might as well just pull that out uh and, and and go with that it just just it's it doesn't it doesn't provide a whole lot of hope that franklin's gonna get challenged before week 12 uh that's for sure and before we leave this subject there's one more thing that's been uh that's been bugging me uh just one thing to keep in mind just because Butler's won these two games uh, and was similarly competitive with Franklin as they were with Mountain Union. That doesn't mean Butler would win the Division Three playoffs, because I'm pretty sure in order to do so, Butler might have to at some point play a road game.
1: Yes. Mountain Union is the only team that never has to play a road game, it seems, <laughs> in Division Three playoffs.
0: Well, I, I, but I mean, Butler's played both those games at home because they're the D1 school, right? So that's not I, I true they haven't played a, they didn't play at home on saturday actually i shouldn't say that they did play a home and home with franklin but i believe uh the game with wittenberg is a one-off and they just uh stayed at home so butler would have to go on the road and play some games at some point i'm sure
1: uh yeah i i knew what you meant but i just wanted to make that joke that mountain Union really never does go on the road it does seem that way you're
0: not just crazy out there folks uh it it it, it they haven't played a they haven't played a road game in the playoffs in the entire D3Football.com history, so that's a 1999 before then. Is it really that long? It is I that long. Was, There's been a couple somewhere in there. There was a couple times where they were seeded to play on the road, but Wabash couldn't beat Capital, uh, DelVal couldn't beat Rowan, so Mountain Union got its home field back anyway.
1: Yeah, there was a year that St. Thomas was the number one seed in, right. the, in the higher-seeded uh, bracket too, and then, and they and then lost Bethel, to Bethel beat St. Yep. Thomas. Yep. Yep. No, we've mentioned that game now twice. <laughs> inadvertently. I
0: should have been it. I I was almost at that game. I ended up if if people who don't I don't remember my itinerary. I understand that. Um, Wabash, not Wabash. Whitewater was playing at North Central that day, so I flew to Chicago. But because of snow, I almost didn't get out of Minneapolis. So I very nearly uh, had to leave the airport, turn around, and well. That would have been a fantastic uh, defensive battle just down the road for me, but I decided to go to uh, North Central instead, and I saw a great game there in the quarterfinals as well. So, uh, But I was almost at that game, yes.
1: We have. A, we both have habits of, of taking simple questions and giving them long answers, and well, that's that was a good why, example of that's that. That's
0: why we're 47 minutes into this podcast.
1: Well, all right, I guess you got a question for me, unless you're going to make me answer my own question that I just asked, because I came up with one. <laughs> Just in case, <laughs>
0: uh, no, I'm not even sure what to how to how to how to go there. So um, the the one team that uh, we uh, teed up earlier that we haven't talked about yet was uh, St. John Fisher, and St. John Fisher's had a, a couple of uh, impressive wins to start the season, but uh, against Otterbein, which uh, you know did go eight and two last year, but seems like it could be on the downswing this year, and WJ, which has not been a national contender for some time although they did make the playoffs again last season is uh is St. John Fisher the best team in the Empire 8?
1: I that's to be determined because they still have to play uh Salisbury any know, Empire in, 8 team. Right, right, they have to play they have to play everyone, but I, I think think Salisbury's probably still going to be a factor in that. I don't think you can just glaze over uh, Alfred and Ithaca. I think that's a, a a much it's a very competitive conference it always has been in in uh you know i, I guess i'm going to dodge that question for now cuz there's there's nothing that we've seen that would convince me that Salisbury can't be competitive in the empire 8 we just you know they they may be closer to the pack at St. John Fisher certainly off to a good start but and, and speaking directly to St. John Fisher i'm i'm pretty impressed with the first two weeks for them you know i didn't have them on the ballot in the preseason and i moved them up i think they're in the teens now oh mind i thought the the you know not just to beat Otterbein, but to shut them out in Ohio, and then they come back home. And you know, W and J may not be the, the the monster team it was in the mid 2000s, but it's you could play worse teams in your non-conference schedule than than W and J. Uh, and you know, that was a game for a while, and, and St. John Fisher really put it away in the fourth quarter. I thought that was impressive. Finished uh, 453 passing yards for uh for tyler fenty the fisher single game record and uh i i think you know they've they're pretty impressive i if you put me if you made me answer saint john fisher the best team in the empire i said i i i would say you know based on what we've seen yes but i i wouldn't count salisbury out
0: well the top 25 agrees with you so far at least um I think we should try one of those ill-fated lightning rounds, one of those things where we never get to uh, where we never manage to say anything in 15 seconds or less. But I'm going to I'm going to fire out some thoughts and then you can fire out completely different thoughts and maybe we can make this fast by not responding to each other's ideas. How
1: about that? all right i think i can do
0: that all right uh some teams i was impressed with this weekend or teams i want to throw shout outs to or i don't know put stickers on a helmet that's not really my thing uh stevenson stevenson defeating albright congratulations to stevenson um I got uh, kind of a breathless note from a follower of the Stevenson program this week that reminded me that they're 2-0 for the first time in program history. Last week, the same person reminded me that they were 1-0 for the first time in program history. So I'm pretty sure that if they go 3-0 next week, it'll be for the first time in program history. Uh, Congratulations to McDaniel. Uh, McDaniel gets off that long losing streak. They beat Moravian. Um, I guess it's something I guess we probably could have seen coming. Um, because Moravian has been kind of struggling the last couple of years as well. Uh, Emory and Henry, not going to necessarily get any top 25 votes for this, but, um, you know, based on their first two weeks of play, beating Ferrum, beating Maryville, you know, uh, again, the ODAC continues to beat up on the USA South, but I was kind of down on Emory and Henry in August. So uh, for them to be 2-0 means they at least did better than I thought they would. For Beloit, Beloit scores for the first time since October 27th of 2012 although they did still lose on Saturday to Monmouth by the score of 59-14. to I have an interview sitting in my uh, recorder with uh, Beloit head coach Chris Brand that I recorded on my trip last weekend uh, in the middle of week one. I I stopped by Beloit, Wisconsin, and he said, why did you come here? You could have gone to Whitewater. It's just up the road. And I said, I'm at Whitewater all the time. I have not been to Beloit since I turned down the SID job in 1996. And Luther uh, defeats St. Olaf 20-13. to 13. i was surprised by that. Um, you know, I would have thought that... The uh, only thing I can think of is Game 1 to Game 2, Luther figured out a little bit more about the triple option. The team that lost to presentation... Beats St. Olaf the next week. Uh, that may not show up on too many of those uh, Massy projections for big upsets, but that was one that was a surprise to me.
1: All right. You lightninged it. You, you did hit enough teams. I thought we were going to go back and forth. I was like ready for you to pass it to me. Um, my first lightning observation is I know that was Dave McHugh that sent you those breathless notes. <laughs> what makes you say that? <laughs> <laughs> we love you, um, Dave. Saint John's I'm impressed with Saint John's getting off to a 2 and 0 start under Gary Foshing. I can't imagine a more pressure filled situation for a coach to step into than to follow the all-time uh you know, wins leader. Yeah, I know Fashing was was a part of a lot of those wins and uh it's still a pretty impressive, not just to, to win the first two games, but you know, Wisconsin, Eau Claire, pretty uh, strong opponent, Joel Sweeney, uh, one of the better running backs probably in the country. And they uh, held him in check just enough to win 17, 14, Christopher Newport, Pat, you mentioned the ODAC dominating the USA South. Usually USA South scored a victory on this one against uh, Hampton, Sydney. And that's a pretty significant win in this, in this part of the country in the mid Atlantic, Virginia, um, you know, pretty much been the best team most of the past several years uh, in, in the state. So was, uh, Christopher Newport, 17-7, showed that the, the Salisbury game was not a fluke. And, and that would bode well possibly for, you know, down the line if Christopher Newport does win the USA South. It'll at least be an interesting you know, matchup in the playoffs. You hate to see those games in the first round when it's 72-14 or whatever. Um, Methodist.
0: <laughs> That's not a random score.
1: No, we do pull facts. We we pull facts from from things we remember, don't we? Uh, I, Methodist getting off to a, the first two and start uh, in program history since 2000. Uh, that's a that's a lightning. That's actually a lightning lightning round observation. That's all I have to say about that one. Uh, Widener, how about Widener? Hanging on, uh, you know, needed to needed to beat Lebanon in the Valley. Uh, you need a rally to beat Lebanon Valley, and uh, or hang on, I should say. But but it's nice to bounce back. They had that opener against Wesley, and uh, gave up a ton of yards, and uh, and, and uh, pulled one out um, in the first mat game of the season. Uh, that might be all I have. I thought I had one more, but I'll stick with that for right now. Oh, I know the one I'm to talk about. The Secretary's Cup. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the better rivalry games in, in D three. And, uh, you know, especially from an atmosphere standpoint in uh, Merchant Marine, you know, under sort of some wacky circumstances, uh, you know, picks up a late fumble when when, uh, Coast Guard maybe had a chance to go ahead in that game or tie the game. And uh, big, big rushing day for the quarterback. uh, McDaniel, he had 245 yards rushing Merchant Marine hangs on to the hangs on to it I think I think they won last year so uh, hangs on to the secretary's cup and I'll, I'll tip my cap to the other long often played rivalry game that was um played on Saturday uh, they're not playing it at, at the end of the season anymore but they are still playing it Co and Cornell um, wasn't very competitive but uh, but it is a you know one of those games that's been going on for more than a 100 years so we should always uh recognize it.
0: Some games coming up next week. We're in week three. Uh, we have the uh, NESCAC starting next week. Welcome. Well, they're probably not listening yet. We'll do this whole spiel at the beginning of the show again next week. But some of the big games coming up uh, next week. There's obviously some uh, some pretty good ones. Um, I will be flying to Texas to see Mary Harden Baylor open the quote-unquote Crew Cathedral. Maybe I don't have to put quote-unquote on there. I don't know. Uh, they host... Uh, So that's the fourth-ranked crew against uh, fifth-ranked Wesley. I wonder if both teams uh, were caught looking ahead. But Mary Harden-Baylor, only for a half. Yes, only for a half. Uh, The Johnny-Tommy game next week. For those of you who are not from Minnesota, that means it's St. John's against St. Thomas, and it's at St. Thomas. And, um, yeah. Uh, Cal Lutheran at Linfield. Uh, Cal Lutheran has a chance to try to... Keep itself in the top twenty-five. I don't know; uh, that's going to be a, a tough task for them next week. Obviously, uh, we've got uh, Heidelberg hosting Ohio Northern. Pacific Lutheran uh, hosts Redlands. We may have mentioned this game between Wisconsin Whitewater and Buff State. I am interested in the Wash U Co game, Keith. Um, Wash U did get into double figures this week. It took them double overtime to do it, but they are two. Uh, they are one and one after that uh, two OT victory against Rhodes.
1: Yeah, I'm um, interesting that you're interested in that game. That's probably not one that we circled in the preseason. But uh, WashU has been pretty impressive, uh, staying close to Whitewater in Week One, uh, and then you know as you mentioned in overtime this week, uh, Coe big winner so far. But but nice to see, be nice to see them get a good test before they start that Iowa schedule.
0: And I I know uh, Coe kind of lump in a little bit with Elmhurst. They weren't nearly as overrated as Elmhurst was. Uh, by our preseason voters and Elmhurst uh, picked up the loss. That's going to knock them off the radar for you know. Basically, I think start the knocking off the radar for most of the regular season unless they pull a pretty impressive run through the CCIW. For Co, uh, this is a chance where they might fall into that group, but I'm not sure they necessarily do.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, you know, you you need to get an accurate read on on certain teams. You need to see them play good competition. And Co, that for that for Co, that moment is is really coming ahead but it it'll be interesting to see what they do this week and as long as we're tipping hats and mentioning Elmhurst we should probably tip a hat to Trine, which uh you know gave up a, a first quarter touchdown on a fumble return uh against Elmhurst and then didn't give up another point in uh in winning that game
0: 16-7 Other games coming up next week Baldwin Wallace hosts John Carroll that should be an interesting matchup in the OAC I like um you know John Carroll you know, obviously coached by the quarterback, coached by Tom Arth, with Mark Myers, the guy who's thrown for when he they said he threw for I was five, I think it might have been 526 yards that it was a school record in week one. I thought that that guy had thrown 500 yard games last year as well. Regardless, that guy's a, clearly a pretty prolific quarterback for JCU. And uh, we've got Delaware Valley at Albright and uh, Stevenson with a chance to go three, and zero at FDU Florham. We might hear that message next week. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I actually might. You might might pick Stevenson if we were picking that one.
0: If we do pick that one, you will see it on Friday morning, hopefully in triple take. That is our three headed prediction group of uh, myself and Keith and Ryan Tips, our senior editor and longtime uh, former, now former around the mid Atlantic columnist. That is uh, our take on the uh, big upsets the potential big games the surprise teams and you find that on friday uh you'll find keith mcmillan's around the nation column kind of spread throughout the week here uh in this uh, season in division three football you'll see around the region columns on tuesday and wednesday um on monday afternoon uh we'll see those uh the the post game show we're calling it the d3 reports and also any highlight packages that schools have produced and post game interviews you can watch all sorts of that stuff there's uh last year last week there was about an hour's worth of content uh with highlights uh from games all over the map so i encourage people to do that on uh and on tuesday morning we'll announce the uh, d3 football.com play of the week um we could be talking about stevenson again i've seen that play where the uh where austin tennessee the freshman defender strips the ball from the quarterback of albright and takes it back 99 yards for a touchdown that's not to say that play can't be beaten so get your nominations in they are due to info at d3sports.com by 5 p.m eastern time on monday so for keith mcmillan i'm Pack Holman. that's around the nation this is d3football.com